Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Monday, November the 1st. Happy All Saints Day to all of you as we remember those who died in faith in Christ before us. As we know, they are now with the Lord. It is a time for us to have joy, even in the midst of our grief, as he tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, that we do not have ones without hope, even in our grief. But does not mean that we do not grieve, but we celebrate that our Lord, what our Lord has done for us in Christ. And today, as we move forward, this connects us to the text because we realize how believers of old struggled with the same issues that we do today. And yet with steadfast faith until the end, they clung to Christ. They did not know life without God. They were living in it. And for us, too, we know that as as Solomon writes this, that he writes knowing that there is Christ, that there is the Lord, that there is something for us to hope for now and forevermore. Which is why even though the language is evil under the sun, we do realize that there is always hope because we have Jesus. For today, the gifts are ready, ready for you. A special thanks to our friends from Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information. lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's word, we welcome back with us Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. Also the author of one of my favorite books, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? Pastor Richard, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Hey, Brady. It's good to be here. So, Pastor, tell us what's going on. Uh, Well, first of all, happy All Saints Day. Yeah, you too. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So tell me what's going on for yourself, you, yourself, your family, and the work of the saints at St. Paul's. Well, family-wise, uh, we're kind of in that fall schedule. We got, uh, man, our little town that we live in just east of Minot. It's called Surrey, and we're in the playoffs for state playoffs, and so we're rooting for a football team. And uh, all the kids' sports seem like the fall sports are coming to an end, and so we're that transition period. So just holding on for dear life as a dad and and uh, husband, we're, we're our family's going all different directions, which is just really kind of a fun stage where the kids are in. Uh, as far as the the church itself, um, it's really neat to see uh, with, at least here in North Dakota, it seems that there's a sense where people are breathing a sigh of relief. Um, not that we want to minimize COVID by any means, but, uh, you know, for the church, there's been a, a nice routine that's developed, a fall routine of church services and the visitations and so forth. And so uh, it's been it's been nice to have the normalcy, I guess you would say, kind of the routine, uh, the, the daily grind, if you will, uh, here in Minot. And I think that's very true for for all of us. There's a little bit of fear and trepidation, obviously, of, okay, what's going to come next? What's going to come on the news? What's going to happen here or there? But I agree. I know for us and for everyone that I talk to here on KFUO, that there's things that we are now doing again. We grieve because there's still people who have not come back, but we do uh, we do see the normalcy coming back. We can visit people in the hospital. We can visit people in their homes. We can do all of those things. So yeah, thanks be to God for that, for sure. And for a reminder to our listeners to keep that in your prayers, pray for the church as we monitor where we are going from here and to give thanks for where we are and and also trusting in him to lead us forward. So pastor, as we begin our time today, um, can you begin our, can you begin and ask the Lord's blessings in prayer? Yeah, absolutely. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy always bestowed upon us and given to us as sheer gift for us as sinners in need of this grace. 
We pray that you bless our time, our conversation. We thank you for your word imparted to us, declared to into our ears. We pray that you would sanctify us in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Reminder to listeners, if you have any questions about Ecclesiastes, it's been really fun. Ecclesiastes 3, you go through the first eight verses and you can't help but think of old songs and think of movies, war and peace, and all of these type of situations that come up with Ecclesiastes chapter 3. You get into the end from dust to dust and returns to this vanity language. And today we have very similar language, but ultimately it points us from the law, showing us reality, and then pointing us to Christ. So as we look at that, if you have any questions, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. So, Pastor, we come to Chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes, and it is a, it is a unique book. Uh, I heard one, one of our guests said, this would be a great book for a, a person to read before they went to college, to give them a, a fresh perspective on life, which I thought was good. Um, and, but to look at Ecclesiastes 4, how do you want to start us off as we continue to move forward? Well, I think that's a good point. I mean, I, I, I actually, to be honest with you, I mean, as, as we look at Ecclesiastes, we, we covered Ecclesiastes here at St. Paul's a couple of years ago. And as of late, I've been reading Proverbs in my, my spare time. And, I, you know, how do we say this? It seems as if the world, and I think, I think most people would agree with this, um, it seems as if the world uh, is kind of spun out of control in a lot of ways. I mean, we, we every day you turn on the news, there's something new, and it just seems... Uh, it seems a lot of ways. Some, some, sometimes things are unhinged, you know. And I, I hear the fear in in people's voices, and I and I hear the uncertainty on the news, and and all the breaking news that's happening. And so you kind of try to make sense of all this. And and I have found that Ecclesiastes um, and Proverbs, uh, especially Ecclesiastes, helps make some sense of this world, this this life under the sun, you know, as as that term that's used, uh, living this life under the sun. And so. Not, not that, you know, there, there's some passages that we'll read uh, that obviously they're not necessarily, you know, gospel as, as in delivering the, the forgiveness of sins, proclaiming that to us, but it describes how life works. And I know for myself, you know, in reading through Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, it's like, you know, you see the dysfunction, you see the chaos, and then you read Ecclesiastes like, oh, well, nothing new under the sun. Uh, that's how humanity works. That's that's how a dark, sinful world will respond. Uh, and, and 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 pagans do as pagans do. Uh, a person who who lives in dark, this is how they'll function. Uh, this is how uh, power corrupts. This is how uh, the the what we say the hedonism, the desire of the appetite of the flesh, what 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 it does. And so, there's a sense where it gives not necessarily a familiarity to this life under the sun, but it but helps us make sense of it. So when these things happen, it's like, oh yeah, uh, the Bible already told me about that. And that, that, that is the typical response of mankind. And so in a really weird way, there's comfort uh, hearing about, about this life under the sun and just how it's sometimes like a broken motor and it doesn't work, if you will, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And this, I mean, this really brings me back. I, I'm still gathering my mind around uh, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, because it's a description. You know, there, this isn't a prescription. And Pastor Metter said that so wonderfully on Thursday was that understanding this is a he's he's telling us about the real world. You know, we we sometimes don't want to live in the real world, but we do want to because, OK, uh, there's going to be birth and there's going to be death. There's, you're going to plant things and they're going to be harvested. You're going to, there's going to be killing and there's going to be healing. And it just brings to light all the truth that is there. 
not trying to uh, put makeup on the brokenness in this world, but trying to show for what it is, and then obviously pointing us back to the Lord. And that's what exactly what Solomon is doing. Any other thoughts on um, Ecclesiastes? You know, it's one of those books that, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right. It, it's a book that's prime for high schoolers and college, and uh, it gives a, a very good worldview, if you will, of this world. Um, you know, in fact, you know, I had a conversation with my son the other day, and I just said, you know, my son's name is Matthias. And I said, you know, Matthias, I said, let's, let's, let's plan this next summer. You and me, let's go get our backpacks and some of our camping gear and we'll go hiking in the turtle mountains and we'll set up camp and we'll just go to some um, spot, not, not a campsite, but just, you know, do it, do it, do it manly, right. Ruggedly. And um, let's go back there and we'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll use Ecclesiastes and Proverbs and we'll just talk about life, father to son, and we'll visit about life and what, what you have before you. And uh, his eyes lit up. He's like, that sounds cool. And I'm like, well, yeah, that, 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 that is going to be cool. And I, I really can't wait for that. It's going to be really fun to, to, to wrestle with that. Um, so it's, it's a profound book, uh, especially for our high schoolers and, and college uh, students. Um, it should be read, you know, if we're, if we're in college reading, you know, Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, reading those kind of books, we should actually be, you know, lumping Solomon, uh, you know, Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, right, right, right alongside those, those other books uh, for reading. Um, not, you know, theologically, but also, you know, in kind of almost a philosophical sense, not, 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 not an ungodly philosophy, but a, a, a philosophy grounded in Christ and, and what we call a, a big fancy word, a logocentric worldview of, of, of how this life runs, um, you know, with the God and how it runs when, when people act like when there is no God and how, how, what are the consequences of it? And I was talking to my daughter. She just turned 16 last week and we were just, we have time in the car. She just, she's, uh, you know, uh, going through driver's training and close to getting her license. So I kind of had a little moment where I'm like, oh my gosh, I might not be able to ride with her very much in the mornings anymore, which is freeing, but also terrifying. But the same thing I told her is, you know, Ecclesiastes, I want to be able to read that with you before you go away. And she, she's like, yeah, that sounds great. And, and we talked through kind of the basics of it. And she was, she was excited too. So I do think that young people are interested in learning more about the real world. Like not a, hey, you can change the world type of way, which is what we usually get, but in a way that shows the real world. And how does God fit into that? And that's what Solomon really gives us as a gift in Ecclesiastes. Any other thoughts? Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I... I, I... <laughs> I'm I'm 42, so my wife said I'm rounding that that age where I'm starting to descend into curmudgeonness. And <laughs> um, but you know it, it's 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 like you go to you know you hear this every year. You hear graduation speeches, and you hear you hear all these accolades of of you know different speakers, motivational speakers, and they all they all sound the same. It's like you know you're gonna go and conquer the world, and you're gonna be you're gonna be the change that the world needs, and da 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 da. And it's it's so inflated and disconnected from reality. And I often sit back and I look at our youth and I'm, I'm like saying to myself, I wonder how many youth actually believe what this person's saying. And if I were to, if I were to bet, I would say the majority are just yawning. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just pious accolades of, of nothingness that are unhinged from reality. And you're right. That's what Ecclesiastes does. It, it brings it home. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's very sobering. It's a very sobering book, which I'll be honest. I just, I just love it. I just appreciate the soberness of it that it says, Hey, we're going to call a thing what it is. This is how it is. And 
what that does is that drives us to a real gospel, a real God, a real Christ who dies and bleeds. Um, and it shows that our theology is not uh, embraced in some theoretical theoretical cloud, um, an ethereal cloud of ideas. It's actually real. Um, our theology is 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 embedded in time and space and reality, and it actually functions in a very simple world. It functions in this world, uh, what this what, what Solomon calls this life under the sun. And so let's get into that. I like life under the sun because the title of chapter four in the English Standard Version, at least, it says "evil under the sun," which obviously does not lead people to want to read it right away, but it does lead us to um, you're going to have some truth here because we always try to put the positive swing on everything, and David doesn't do that. Like you said, he puts it forth right in front of us and tells us not only of the reality of the world but a real savior that we will see in Christ. So pastor, are you ready to begin? Yeah, let's get going. That'd be great. All right. So let's start with just verses one through three. Reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English standard version of Ecclesiastes chapter four. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun and behold, the tears of the oppressed and they had no one to comfort them on the side of their oppressors. There was power and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought that the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than living who are still alive, but better than both is he who has, who has not yet been and has not yet seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. So right here is very, a, a dire situation where it's even better for those who have already died or those who haven't even been born. What is he capturing here? Well, it's, it's, it's almost a lament. I mean, if you think about it here, I mean, it, 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 it says, I saw the oppressions that are done under the sun and, uh, and behold, the tears of the oppressed uh, it communicates that uh, people in power uh, can abuse their power. And uh, this is tragically what happens uh, when, when, when you have those often in power, they take advantage of those who are less powerful, um, those with less fortunate. And what that does is that leaves those who are less fortunate with, uh, unfortunately, tears, with grief. I mean, if you think about tears uh, to, to, to grieve, um, I, I'll just be very vulnerable as a man. Um, you know, I'm the type of, of guy where I'll tell my kids, you know, you know, don't cry. We're going to work through this. Mm -hmm. um, I'll be honest. I, there are times where I do weep um, and I do weep. And usually when I get to the point of weeping, it's not just a small, you know, a trickle of a tear. It's, 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 it's a deep weeping. And um, I can recall, you know, uh, a couple times here in the past three years where I've weeped deeply uh, the death of, of an individual in the hospital. I came into my car and I just I punched the roof of my pickup and I wept and I cursed and I was so angry at death itself and hurt so deeply. But those tears, they, they were they were an outpouring of my helplessness. They were an outpouring that I couldn't do anything about the evil of death itself that just bit into one of my parishioners. And, and, and to see death and how it wreaked havoc and how it hurt one of my sheep. And gosh, it, it, it hurt. It hurt so bad. And I was so powerless and out of control. And you had this oppressor death that was munching down and I couldn't do anything about it. And so I was resulted to, I resulted to tears and those tears poured forth. And so we, we hear this cry of, of the less fortunate with tears. And, and what's even worse, they don't have anyone to comfort them. Um, you know, yeah. at this time there's, there's, 
there's not a you know a fix and and above and beyond there's there's nobody coming up and tapping them on the head and they're patting them on the head saying they're there it's going to be okay now oftentimes we hear those words it's going to be okay and deep down we know it might not be okay but at least to hear that is is comforting and it absolutely is and i i mean he starts right away and I like how you're capturing that because we like the moment that is done, because I've had similar uh, realities in my own life and I probably cry more than the normal guy. And my wife would admit that I tend to do that. But there are there are definitely times of deep despair. You're like, I have nothing to give. Death just just happens. It has all this power. And I feel it's so real when you visit people or you lose a loved one. Um, definitely felt that when my grandmother died and and you feel this. I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. So this wasn't something where he's just thinking back in his life and go, yeah, that was kind of hard, but it, you know, it ended up being a blessing. No, he is, he is speaking just like you're talking. You know, he's hidden the, the hood of his car. He's upset. He doesn't really know what to do. He has no way of getting out of this on his own. So I think he, that's a beautiful way of capturing it because it's very real, very emotional, something we all feel we just don't always admit. So thank you for your honesty um, with that today. And and with that, I do want to ask you about this, is that it was so bad and get your thoughts that it was actually better that someone were to be gone or never been born than to deal with this world. For us as Christians, we live in that that tension of we value life from beginning to end, from conception to, to death, natural death. But yet we still have these feelings. And sometimes we then feel bad that we have those feelings of, oh my gosh, it's so horrible. Why would anyone want to have a child in today's world? So how do we reconcile all those feelings with the the theology and the understanding we have of life? You know, I was talking to one of my best friends last week about this. Actually, was was it? Yeah, excuse me. It was yesterday, the day before we were talking about this. And uh, we were talking specifically about the subject now I, when I when I share this I want people to make sure to hear me clearly because I don't want it to come across that that you know Pastor Richard is suicidal by any means but there, there there's a there's a there's a context as you really really ponder and you come face to face with the evils under the sun as we're reading here in Ecclesiastes 4 when you see the pain of divorce you see the pain of cancer you see the pain of death itself when you see uh, power structures destroying uh, the weak um, when you see all these things wreaking havoc in this world uh, it, it should dr- drive you to almost a despair a despair uh, in of yourself now again keep in mind you know we can look at this world you know as it is, you know, and we can we can perceive it as if there's no God. Now, now obviously, there is a God, but if we perceive this world uh, in in a capsule or, or disconnected from God, what we see is evil under the sun, and it should, in a sense, uh, almost bring us to to uh, the, this fancy term is called nihilism, where where it's just like it's like what's the point, right? I mean, there, there's just there's nothing here. It's just there's nothing but suffering and pain. And, and so I was telling this to my my good friend who we're visiting about this. I said, when you take a deep hard look at these things, um, you know, it, it makes you, it makes us as a Christian to say uh, two things. It can say, you know, I, I I want this to be over. And and again, hear me out here. I want this to be over. Now you can say that as a Christian. Uh, hoping for the glory of Christ to resurrect us to, to the great eschaton for him to come back and to say, you know, I look at this life, look at this world and Jesus just come back and make things new. And, and uh, that gives us a context of, of one acknowledging that things are not the way that they ought to be, 
but then also driving us outside of the system, outside of this sphere of this life under the sun saying, I need help from outside of this system. I need help from Christ. He needs to come. He needs to come quickly. And, and, and as we wait for Christ to come, then the question then is, then how do we maneuver as Christians in this life under the sun? Because if we, if we just go and we wake up every morning and we look at the evil under the sun, then there, there'd be no point to get up. There, we should just stay in bed, you know, pull the covers over our head and, and camp out underneath the sheets and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. But as we understand that we are the redeemed, that we are the baptized, that we are Christians, that he has plucked us from evil unto light, that he has given us uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, that he has poured his word into our ears, that he has given us vocations, then we wake up and we make the sign of the cross upon our head and our heart, and we say, Lord God, be with me as I walk in this valley, uh, valley of tears, this veil of tears, this life under the sun. And grant me the grace, the compassion, uh, my understanding, my identity to serve thy neighbor, to serve my neighbor <clears throat> with all the gifts that you've given me to be faithful in my vocations, whether it's a, whether I'm a plumber or whether I'm a, a teacher or, or a banker, um, you know, or a police officer that I serve my neighbor who is also simultaneously uh, going, muddling through this life of sin, muddling through this veil of tears and that I might serve them, uh, you know, as, as the redeemed, uh, who sees my neighbor as a fellow person needing the grace of God, the forgiveness of sins, the hope of the resurrection. And then as we all together, again, model through this life towards the glory of Christ making all things new. And I like how you said that the, the body of Christ coming together and muddling together, moving forward. Because there's, I'm, I'm 42 as well. So this pessimism, I, I definitely feel in the same way. But part of it is just a misunderstanding. Like, I think there's a, a, a major part of me that really thinks that if I just do this or I do that, then the church would become this ideal paradise place. And Solomon, I believe it's in chapter two, says, I built the gardens. I built the pools. I built the buildings. I had everything I ever wanted. He basically was trying to build his own paradise. And he's reflecting on that. And he really hits it home in chapter four, I believe, where he's like, guess what? I was never going to be able to make this paradise. There's just too much evil out there. And then even the, 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 the righteousness that we are to receive, which is in Christ, in the body of Christ, we will muddle along until our Lord comes again, where everything will be perfect on account of Jesus and faith in him and what he's done on the cross Therefore, we, as we celebrate All Saints Day, are reminded that that is where perfection will be. But yet, he gives his grace right here and right now. So, I, I, hopefully, we're not too pessimistic as forty-two-year-olds. I don't know. What are your <laughs> well, you know, but 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 there's there's reality to this. I mean, and, and I think there's, I think I think there's a difference between between being pessimistic and being realistic. Um, I think there's there's definitely uh, health and being realistic and and. Well, uh, let's just put it this way, right? Uh, you know, what we're all trying to do in this life, I mean, you turn on the TV and you look at the different commercials and maybe I'm weird, but I, I do like watching commercials um, and I'm saying to myself, okay, what are they trying to sell? And, and pretty much every single commercial is trying to present a form of the Garden of Eden and they make you the promise that if you buy their product, then you will get a glimpse of Eden. Uh, and so you think about how we're all trying to get back to the Garden of Eden uh, to have that bliss, Uh not only 
all, not only uh, a harmony with one another, but harmony with God, uh, harmony with our environment and harmony with ourselves and to have that, that peace, uh, the, the, the gift of the Garden of Eden. And so this is what marketers do. They, they come and they, they paint things in a way that if you buy their product, and I'm a sucker for infomercials, I, I don't watch them, but man, oh man, if I get that, that new spatula and that new, you know, that new contraption, then, then my goodness, by golly, my life is going to be that much better. And when it, it what appeals to us, uh, because I think we're ultimately all, uh, whether we realize it or not, this is for the Christian and the pagan too, uh, subconsciously, we're, we're all trying to escape the veil of tears. We, we want to be free from it. Right. Now, the pagan will, will seek other things, you know, whether it is, well, I mean, even, even us Christians can get stuck in this too, but we can seek to have things that will either... Um, how we say this, uh, subdue uh, the pains of this life under the sun, substance abuse that can actually uh, dull the pains of life and, and, and minimize and cloud out the things of life that cause us turmoil in our soul and so forth. Or we can uh, be climbing that uh, climbing that ladder and, and trying to get that next cherry up on the tree. And if we think we get the next cherry, it's going to taste that much better. And we just keep on going and going and going. But ultimately it is. It, it's, it's coming down to the fact that for us as Christians to realize uh, that the Lord God, he comes to us. Uh, the, the God man, Jesus comes and, and puts on human flesh and he, he, he walks in our shoes and he comes to us and he gives us good gifts. And so, you know, you think of our divine service on Sunday, you know, I tell my parish here at St. Paul's all the time, we come in and we have our opening hymn. And that basically is to make sure that those who are late can, can, can get in in time. And then, <laughs> And then we, we, we all stand and, and I come down and I stand right on the floor next to them and I say, please rise. And shoulder to shoulder, brother to brother, sister to sister, we say, I, poor, miserable sinner. We, we say, you know, what? we've made a mess of this week. We've been living this life under the sun, uh, this veil of tears, and we, we've messed up bad. And then I get to do the greatest thing every Sunday. One of the greatest things, I stand up, put my hand on the baptismal font, raise my hand, and I say, baptize saints, you're forgiven for Christ's sake. You know, I forgive you of all of your sins and I get to see them smile. And it's as if they're saying there is hope in this world. Jesus is for me. Christ is for me. Uh, I can go on. I can go on. Jesus is for me. And as bad as it's going to get this next week, Christ is still for me and he will take me home someday. And that reminds us totally of our identity in Christ. As we read about the realities of the world, we also are filled with the realities of who we are in Christ. But right now we need to take a break. We are studying Ecclesiastes chapter four with Pastor Matthew Richard, and we will be right back. Take a look around you, look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are, there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. 
We are studying Ecclesiastes chapter 4 with Pastor Matthew Richard of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. Now, Pastor, as we as you brought us back to that identity, he's showing our reality, um, Solomon is, and, and you brought us back to our identity in Christ, is that um, we might have those questions of it's better, or thoughts, it's better to never to be gone from this life or it's better to never have lived. And the Lord points us not in um, uh, here is here's here's meaning for you, but he says, here's God and here's here's your purpose. Here's your meaning. Here is your hope and here is your salvation. So before we move forward, we still have more of this evil under the sun dynamic. So I wanted to see if there's anything else you wanted to speak about with identity piece that you just said so beautifully. Well, I, I think I think it's very simple. I mean, I, I think we can summarize what he's saying is that for us as the Christian, uh, we should not be surprised by the evil of this life. Um, and really, that that's 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 not pessimism. That's the realism. You know, for us to understand when we turn on the news and we look out uh, and we see sinful things happen, we should say, ah, well, that makes sense. We have as humanity original sin and we have this world that uh, is a fallen world since Genesis 3. And so it makes sense. You know, absolutely. Yeah, that makes perfect sense why those bad things would happen. But then at the same time, as we admit that and are not surprised by sin, uh, we should be uh, just as quick to see something and say the words, Lord have mercy, um, or we make that sign of the cross, or we say, come Lord Jesus, or we remember what Christ has done for us, or we rush to the Lord's table to, to receive uh, his body and blood for the comfort of our, of, our, of our body and soul. And so simultaneously, as we call things what they are, uh, sinful in this world, we also have to call things for what they are pertaining towards the gospel and who we are in Christ. And to boldly call a thing what it is, but then to boldly remember who we are in Jesus as well. And I, to bring you back to your infomercial um, description, is there's a real uh, power in the realistic view of that is, OK, so what are they trying to sell? What are they promising? And for us to be able to say is, you know, I don't need that. And that's a that's a very comforting. Hopefully, that's what's encompassing us as forty two year olds is is not trying to see the horrible parts of life, but able to look at that and go, you know what? I don't need that. I don't need that credit card. I don't need whatever object that we need. I don't necessarily need the new iPod or the there's no iPods. What am I saying? iPads or the iPhones that are coming out. I don't need them right away because I could spend five hundred dollars less in six months or whatever the situation might be. That it definitely shows you're able to look at the world and realize the reality of it in line with our identity in Christ. So I'm. I might run back into this infomercial thing because I think well, that's kind of fascinating. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't want to pull in the dish too much, but but this is this is so worth hearing. This really encapsulates what we're talking about. And, and forgive me, I'm going to the dish just very briefly here. Uh, I remember watching a, a commercial for um, laundry. It was a lady in a laundry room, and it was a washer and dryer. And I don't know if it was Tide or what, but it was a laundry detergent. And she's smiling. She's holding these pods and she's wearing this beautiful polka dot dress. And she kind of skips in and she's like, you know, buy this laundry detergent and, and, and your clothes will smell great and everything will be great and wonderful. And I looked at that commercial and I'm like, you know what? I've had a lot of houses and lived in a lot of places over the years. 
And generally speaking, the laundry room in the houses that I've lived in, are in the, is in the basement, the unfinished basement. It yep. looks like a dungeon. Yep. I mean, it looks like it looks like it's like it looks like like the Robin Hood dungeons, you know. And it, there's there's musty and there's cement floors and it's dark and it's cold. And and I'm like, I, I normally do not see laundry rooms that pleasant and that wonderful. And laundry usually you come in, it's dark and you're tripping over all the clothes and it smells musty <laughs> and it's and then the dryer the dryer when it dries it shakes and rattles and I mean that's that's reality. But 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 here's 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 the catch twenty two on this. Here's here's the catch. So while we can see that that commercial is portraying a view of life that does not exist because it's not real, the reality is this: is when you're doing though that laundry and you're you know, I know for myself, I help out with laundry in our house and I come into our dungeon and the cement floors and it's cold and you can look at it and say, you know what, this is life. But you can also pause and say, look at the gifts before me. I have all these dirty little socks from my little six-year-old and say, my goodness, the Lord has blessed me with a six-year-old daughter who has grass stains on these brand new pants God be praised that she has life, that she can laugh, that she can run, that she can giggle. And I can see my son's football equipment and it stinks big time. But I'm saying, God be praised, I have a healthy son, 14 years old, who is enjoying the gift of sports and he's having fun and he's healthy and he's lifting weights, you know. And so the gifts are right there before us, but they may be messy, but they are gifts. And so we can easily overlook that with those infomercials and that false view of life. Now, now I'm now I have to think about when I go in the laundry room the, the, t- tonight because um, I have to do laundry today. I have to really think about. Okay, I'm going to give praise while I do it. Usually, I'm lamenting, so um, I get it. And you're, you're great point for us, especially as he says, is better not to have lived when we are in this life. We realize that there is life and not only that we're breathing, but that we have life in Christ. So let's keep moving forward. Uh, we're in verse four. I'm going to read through verse verse six. Then I saw all that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Now, Pastor, I kind of struggled with these verses, not because of necessarily what they said, but because it's really three different thoughts. And so I don't know how you want to break this down, but I know in verse four, this one was convicting to me because a lot of the things that I try to do, it comes out of envy. For example, I want to be very good at track. My wife and I are track coaches here in Sartell. That what I did when I didn't beat the guy in track is that I envied his first place finish. So what do I do? I go lift weights. I go do this. I go do this so that I can beat him the next year. Is that what he's talking about? Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, simply stated, I mean, probably, probably, maybe the the simplest phrase that maybe the the, the as listeners are listening to this that they could identify with is verse four is keeping up with the Joneses, as they say. Uh, yeah. uh, it's this mentality of looking to others and trying to keep up with them, uh, which really goes to the heart of the ninth and tenth commandment, which is coveting. And uh, that's that's at the root of this. It's always coveting the Joneses, always trying to keep up with the next door neighbor and outdo them. And uh, that's not freedom. I mean, obviously, we know that uh, we can hear that it's not freedom. It's bondage it's slavery, you know, always trying to look to the neighbor next to us and playing, trying to one up them. 
um, and never being left with contentment, but always discontentment. And this is exactly what the ninth and tenth commandments are, are getting at. And then, and then you look at verse, you know, verse five. Uh, verse five is is laziness, the the self destruction of laziness uh, that that happens. You know, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Laziness leads towards self destruction of oneself. Um, it's plain and simple. And then you get to verse six. That's really talking about the quiet and and grateful life. Uh, they're, they're not really connected these three pithy statements, but nonetheless, they do describe a life under the sun. And so let's move to verse five, which is probably the little more challenging one is the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. And this is a. Um, this is definitely not a straight up, this is truth, like anybody who folds his hands starts eating his own flesh. I saw something along the lines of, this is a result of idleness, that you're just not, you know, th- this is kind of what happens when you're not doing something productive. But I, I'm still kind of confused. So how would you use this in verse 5? Well, I mean, I, I guess crassly, kind of, I don't know if it's crassly, but just kind of bluntly stated, this would be, you know, this would be the example of, you know, the 25 to 28-year-old uh a uh, young man, you know, living at home in his mom's basement, you know, wearing Star Wars pajamas, eating Lucky Charms and playing video games. Uh, I, and again, I, I am I'm, I am actually trying to be say that a little shaming because, uh, you know, mooching off a of mom and dad, there's an idleness here. And that what that does is it destroys himself. Um, it really does. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about laziness. Um, we think about uh, uh, Proverbs does as well. I'm trying to think chapter seven or eight. Proverbs talks about how uh, one. Now, again, we have to clarify this. Uh, poverty can happen many times due to unforeseen circumstances. Uh, you know, people can get cancer. They can have fallen bad luck. The, the family farm can be taken. Those things are definitely things that we have to, as Christians, to be aware of our neighbor to help them when they're in need. No doubt about it. We want to be there to support our neighbors. Uh, you know, doing things to help them out financially when hard times strike. But we also have to acknowledge at the same time uh, that laziness and an inability to take care of oneself uh, will produce poverty circumstances for individuals. And it's self-induced. Uh, it, is, it is brought upon themselves. And that is really what we see is there's the, the, the folding of the hands, the twiddling of the, th- twiddling of the thumbs, an inability to do anything productive for oneself, to be a contributing factor for society, as they say. And what that does is it ends up ultimately hurting themselves. And that's a good reminder for us, because as we as we look at this, we can feel it ourselves. So if there's a day you aren't able to do something, I have some members who did come down with COVID and it really wiped them out. They're unable to do things. And one particular individual likes to build stuff. He, he helps whoever he can put up new stairs or put up new siding or whatever it might be. And it's, it's absolutely destroying him not to be able to do anything. And it, even if it's not destroying you, it does. It really brings people down. So he's, he just sees this idleness around him and he realizes that this is just destroying people as well. Um, any, any other last thoughts in verse five? No, I, I think it's it's just that's you know this is really Solomon is showing us how this life under the sun works. I mean, there's there's it, it, it there are how do we say this? There's almost like embedded rules that you can't break, and this is what happens. Now it is describing, uh, you know, it is describing, but in a sense too, it's also uh, you know you don't work, you don't eat. Um, now you can you can actually play that out as long as you can. But ultimately, again, uh, that laziness itself upon oneself, it, it doesn't hurt 
it does hurt people around you, obviously, but it ultimately comes back to bite yourself. I mean, plain and simple. So let's keep moving to verse six, which is another, once again, pithy statement in light with Proverbs, as you mentioned. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Um, so what are your thoughts there? Well, I, I guess you can come back to this whole idea, too, of, you know, on the one hand, you want to keep busy and working uh, to provide for oneself and one neighbor. I mean, because that's just how this life under the sun works. But at the same time, too, we can become so busy. And this is one of the failings of my wife and I. We, 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 we tend to be go-getters. We're always busy, always doing and uh, we can fail to pull that throttle back at times and to live the quiet life, uh, that, uh, to be quiet and grateful. I think, I think very, very simply stated, we can get so busy uh, doing things, whatever those things are, that we fail to realize the gifts that are right before us, the gifts that God has given us. Um, I, I know for myself that when I drive, you know, my wife has always told me, you know, slow down, don't be thinking, look out the window. And, you know, I've been trying to do that. All of a sudden, boom, you realize a beautiful sunset, this beautiful landscape that God has painted for us to enjoy. And I pull over a couple times in the summer and just said, wow, this is amazing. Look at, look at the sun. Look at, look at the clouds. Look at the, hear, the, hear the wind blowing through the North Dakota prairies. Wow, God be praised. What a gift. Uh, and yet in my busyness, I would normally, you know, not look at that, oversee it and not see these wonderful gifts uh, that are before us. So there's there's a sense where the quiet life to slow down, while at the same time being busy for productive sake, but also slowing down. Uh, there's a gift in understanding the things that are before us. Again, that comes back to the laundry, right? I mean, looking at all the laundry and being upset and tripping over it versus these stinky little socks. Wow, those are from a very active little girl that is breathing and laughing and running and and discovering. Wow, you know what a gift. And that is what he really pulls back. And, and by the way, you just made a good sales pitch why people should vacation in North Dakota. I think I think this is North Dakota better be careful. There's gonna be a lot of people coming this next summer to see exactly what you just said. Yeah, summer, not, not winter. <laughs> summer, not winter. Yeah, <laughs> probably not this winter. Probably not this winter. But to look to look at this is we often will wear the badge of honor when I say, hey, Pastor Richard, how you doing? And you'll say, I'm busy. And I'll say the same thing. I'm not the only person. And sometimes we're that badge of honor, which would be interesting to be able to say, you know what? I am just, I'm just enjoying life. I'm just relaxing. And it's awesome. And, and I wonder if we should be able to say that more often. Or, but it, it takes a lot to be able to do that. And he's basically saying that just maybe be quiet for a while. Maybe not even praying. Just quiet to be able to bring in everything together for us to be able to just enjoy life because here we are and the lord has given us this day um any thoughts on that before we move on you know it, very briefly you know i think we in america i'm not trying to be too philosophical here but but we in america we, we're very much and i say this to my church all the time we're, we're very much driven by the industrial age and if you think about the industrial age we think of the production line you know so you start a production line you start with a widget and then you add wheels to the widget and you add bolts and then you add paint and you add all these things and then at the very end ta-da we spit out a product and so we we think very linear 
uh, as as a people. And I know for myself, I'm always chasing that carrot on the end of the stick. I, I see where I want to go. I'm very driven that way. And my wife is driven that way too. And I think as a culture, we're very driven. You know, we start, um, you know, maybe a loan process. We want to get that house or we, 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 we start that journey of whatever project and we want to reach the end. But I think if we can think of things not necessarily as linear, but more circular, then I think there's a sense where, you know, if we think about how circular, we have morning, we have afternoon, we have evening and night and morning, afternoon, evening and night. We have weeks that we go through. We have seasons we go through. And if we see things more circular in a circular fashion, I think it, it, it tends to us to maybe take the edge off, uh, the edge off of life to understand that there's a time for everything, which goes back to chapter three. There's a time for everything. And then to enjoy those cycles of the week, the cycles of the seasons, the cycle uh, that we go through and, and to maybe pull that throttle back a little bit while still obviously being productive, you know, for, for, for the sake of not being lazy, but also enjoying those gifts that we cycle through. And that, and that is a, it's always a, a we're trying to balance. I maybe it's, I don't know if it's the right word or not, but trying to work vocationally. What does God put in front of us? Well, at the same time, finding joy because He says, I mean, throughout Ecclesiastes, sit back, eat, drink, and be merry, for this is in the Lord's hands. I mean, that's really what what He brings us back to throughout our time. So, Pastor, anything else in the first six verses? No, I think this is this is good stuff here. Great stuff. All right. So let's keep going. Seven and eight. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all of his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches. And so he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. So again, he saw vanity. And what vanity did he see? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to vanity, I mean, how do, how do you how do you describe this word uh, vanity? It's 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 the way that you know, as I've read through Ecclesiastes, vanity is basically like, like pretending to hold something in your hand and then you blow and it's gone. Uh, there's nothing there, and so so as we look at this here, it, it, it's simply stated. Um, you know, we all have this appetite uh, to work and make money. You know, obviously. Uh, now, you know, this is not bad if we're attempting to provide for our loved ones, but we, we see here in verse 8, you know, considering this, when, when a person's all alone, as we get into the sec- next section here, being alone, there's, there's a curse of loneliness too as well. And so keeping it all in context, um, again, and you mentioned this before too as well, you know, Solomon tries to go after uh, in early chapters of, of Ecclesiastes, I believe it's chapter 1 or 2, he goes after this idea of, of, of women and wine and property and all these and good music and he he tries to squeeze identity and worth and 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 uh, pleasure out of these things and he says at the very end they're they're empty they're vain but yet at the same time later on he goes and he says enjoy these gifts so i think i think really comes to our disposition are we claiming these things trying to drive pleasure and things out of this life squeezing it out every last drop for our own perhaps idolatrous and 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 sinful nature or do we, you know, quietly step back and see these as good gifts that God has given us uh, in this in this veil of tears? And so it's, it's really a contrast on our heart and how we perceive uh, this world. One would be maybe a, perhaps we could say maybe a godless, dark way of looking at it. The other one would be uh, seeing it as as gift, as things that we don't deserve that God gives us as sheer gift. And there is that question, basically, why am I why am I doing all this? 
is kind of how he's how he's talking is like why am i toiling depriving myself of other ways to relax or to enjoy this life i'm just running around in circles which is why it comes back to what you're saying is are we seeing this from as a gift of god which goes back to the laundry room am i seeing this as a gift of god that i'm able to have uh, these children whose socks are dirty. And and I know for me, I think about the laundry room again is my kids are now at the age, they're 16 down to 11, that they do their own laundry, which is another blessing, not only because I don't have to do it or my wife doesn't have to do it as much, is because I didn't redo laundry until I went to college. I guess I was lazy. That's what it was, you know. And so you see the gifts that are there that the Lord continues to provide even in the midst of everything. Now, Pastor, I want to get to, oh, you want, you have something to say? Sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say, just kind of simply stated uh, to summarize, you know, if, if we're trying to reach for satisfaction in this life under the sun, we'll, we'll never attain it. I mean, obviously, that's the vanity. Mm-hmm. We'll never attain it. But if we stop our, our scurrying around and just stay put and we put our chin up and we look around uh, and we, 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 we ponder, boy, there's gifts that we have received. And so in a lot of ways, we're, we're, we're trying to seek satisfaction in the wrong places, as they say. And yet, in the meantime, the gifts are right before us and uh, gifts of God in, in this veil of tear. And that's a good reminder for us always. And for you, our listeners, my, our encouragement, our proclamation to you is um, the Lord has given you everything in Christ. So rest, rest in his grace. Come unto me, all who are weary and heaven laid, and I will give you rest. That is what he is encouraging you today. And also to rest in his gifts, which I know points us to verses 9 through 12, the curse of loneliness, which is good for us to think about as the body of Christ as well. Verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, I've seen this commonly used for weddings. Um, I've heard this actually quoted when I had a winter biology class in college uh, to talk about hypothermia, you know, and the Bible, it even talks about that if you're going through hypothermia, the best thing to do is embrace the other person with you, whether or not it's a buddy or a girlfriend or whatever it is. I just remember that succinctly in high school that here's some good advice in the Bible. But he's talking about, as you said, the curse of loneliness. How would you describe that? Well, I mean, it, it, it simply is this, um, you know, being lonely. Uh, no, we sometimes, you know, obviously we get busy in life and we need some downtime. I know for myself, you know, in the evenings, once everybody goes to bed, I just I just love having those quiet nights, you know, usually from 12 o'clock to one in the morning. I'm, I'm a late, late person, but I, I, I crave to have that time to gather my thoughts, to ponder, to, to process and so forth. Um, but Living in a state of loneliness, we're not designed uh, really as humans to be alone. I mean, it's it's very few people who uh, have the ability, the spiritual gift. We can joke and can maybe loosely state, uh, you know, that the, the gift of 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 being a hermit. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're really we're created uh, to be in community with one another, and part of that is is also speaking. You know, uh, it's it's quite amazing when I do marital and uh, premarital counseling. Uh, one of the things I find so much of the time is that uh, for a person, a spouse to be heard by another. And so it, it's very difficult 
I think where I would struggle being a hermit to being alone would be I would have nobody to listen to me to talk. Uh, it, it feels wonderful to be heard. And uh, I know my wife will listen to me and she'll nod and she'll smile. And my wife is full of sarcasm. So she makes fun of me all the time. And I just, I just love it when I say something, try to say it so seriously and I say it incorrectly and she makes mocks me. It just it gives me such joy to laugh at myself. But there's that, 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 that circular, again, that circular fashion when we speak to be heard and to interact with individuals. And, 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 and that happens in communication as we use words, but also happens with life, with, with projects. Two people can get a project done faster than just one person. And we can see this as far as uh, grief itself, um, being alone. We talked about this earlier, being alone and, and then and in our grief and the darkness of grief. And then to somebody to come alongside of us and put their arm around us to speak comfort to us. Uh, this veil of tears is, is indeed, you know, tough. Uh, but, you know, God be praised that we have gifts of, of family and friends around us that walk with us and muddle through this life with us and uh, hopefully uh, proclaiming good news of the gospel into our ears as we, again, muddle together. And I, I, I keep re- being reminded of, as you spoke about, when we're able to be there with one another during the time of trial, um, visiting people in the hospital or after death. And there's a lot of helplessness. We can't do anything. But I'm reminded of Job when he lost everything, basically lost everything. And his three buddies show up. And it tells us that they don't recognize him. He was he was in such terror or such angst that they didn't recognize him. And then it says that they sat quiet basically for seven days. And I think about that same dynamic of what it means that someone is there with us. And it's not, that's not just what marriage is about. You know, we don't get married. God didn't design Adam and Eve, but he did say it's not good for man to be alone. <laughs> he did say those words. And it reminds us not only of the community of marriage and family, but also the church. How would you relate this to the, the body of Christ and, and the importance of us being together in the body of Christ? Well, I mean, it, it, again, there's the, the gift of, um, you know, how do I say this? I remember one pastor, he, he talked about it, the ministry, and, and I don't know if I want to necessarily expound on, I don't know if I agree with this term, but but nonetheless, I think his point is valid that we need to consider. He's talked about the, being the ministry of presence, and he talked about us as pastors, uh, and not only would this apply to pastors, but everyone, to just be present when others are hurting. And and I guess, you know, the, where my mind goes to is the night, uh, the, the night that my wife, my wife and I got the phone call that her dad had passed away from a very, very sudden and massive heart attack. Uh, I was an associate pastor at that time and the senior pastor, I called him, he came over and I don't recall him saying much of anything that night, but he was there. He was just there. He, 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 he was there. He sat in the corner. He did our dishes. He was just, he was just there. And, and he gave me space. He gave us space. And then he said a short little prayer. And I'll be, I'll be forever grateful for him because he was there in the midst of my pain and I was not alone. And I knew I had another brother in Christ who loved me. And then his wife came over and she was there for my wife. And again, the, 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 the fact is just being there with another, especially as the church. Now, I often hear this too from, from people in the church. It's like, well, I wouldn't know what to say to somebody when they're struggling. But that's the key point. Sometimes we don't even need to say anything. We can just be there. Our presence shows that they're loved, um, that, 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 that we're there for them. And again, like I said, that, that, that term was the ministry of presence. I guess I don't know if I would, I don't know, that term itself, maybe we could unpack that. But the fact remains, I think this pastor was right, uh, this professor was right, that just being there with your people and being with your family is huge. 
And that goes back to when did the problems start for Job and his friends is when they started talking. <laughs> and so it's, it's a good reminder for us of to be there for each other in that body of Christ. Pastor, we have about just under three minutes left. I want to read the rest of our verses and we can wrap it all together and, and to connect all the dots, if you will. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor, been born poor. I saw all the living who had moved under, excuse me, about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. And this is, he gets into the, the foolish king and, and, and connecting that to the reality of life. Maybe even talking about himself. What, are you, what is he saying in these last verses? Well, simply put, I mean, we can look at government and uh, those in authority. And, and, you know, I think it's easy for us as, as citizens, oftentimes we can, you know, get too down on our authority, those in authority. And sometimes they deserve it. Let's just be honest. They deserve our criticism as citizens. But other times, you know, those in, in public positions are working very hard to do what's right and to, to be there for citizens. And so what can happen is if a king or a ruler does something very, very good uh, and they they, they solve things. There's a tendency for the next generation not to understand the context, understand what they've done, and then they're forgotten. Um, and then you're back to square one again. And so every generation is going to have its own struggles with uh, life under the sun because every generation has sin. And kings over and over and over will attempt to solve these things. And oftentimes they do, but then the next generation forgets the problems that were solved. And at that common phrase we've heard before, that those who do not know history, they tend to repeat it. And that's the nature of this life under the sun, which ultimately brings us back to the gospel side of this is God be praised that we have King Jesus, that in spite of our rulers that we live with and, 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 and amongst and every generation that comes and, and goes, that, that rises and falls, every nation that rises and falls, we have a consistent uh, king, our King Jesus, who is at the right hand of the Father and who has given us his word. Uh, as again, as we muddle through this life and as we muddle through each generation, that his word and his wisdom uh, is the same for us. I think all I can say to that is amen. Pastor Matthew Richard of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota, giving us God's strong word of wisdom from Ecclesiastes chapter four. Pastor Richard, thank you again for the gifts. Yeah, absolutely. It was good to be here, Brady. Saints of our Lord, threefold cords are not quickly broken, and we're reminded that we are united in Christ. We need community, and that's why we have the church. We need the Lord because as we look in this trail of tears, we realize that we need help, and our Lord gives it to us, for he is our king, as Pastor said so well, and he is the one who has everything in the palm of his hands. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord be with you.